everyone. Greetings once again to Marketing Meanders with Sally and Sam. And this time we continue our discussions with Nick Hughes about sales and marketing teams. The relationship between the two, the the different uh, understandings about their timelines and their targets and their priorities and why some of these differences might actually cause the friction that we sometimes see between sales and marketing. Um, We discuss that in more depth and I'm just going to be quiet now and let Sally pick up with the next question. Enjoy. Do you think that with, with the loss of retail, let's just say that retail, because we've all been buying online forever, now well, during COVID, we now look to buy online first. Do you think the loss of the retail department stores or shops or whatever they are, is actually going to change the way sales functions? Because a lot of sales businesses are selling into retail. So they're selling their product into retail. And if that disappears, that their customer base that, that has massively changed. It's changed from being customers that they're squabbling with constantly about discount levels to actually the end user. And it's a quite a dramatic shift of, of approach. I, there's a myriad of, of, uh, of answers to that question. And I'll give, I'll give you two or three if I can. One I heard on the radio five minutes before it came on here. And um, uh, it, was talk, it was actually Chris Evans was talking about walking around London yesterday. And he noticed it dawned on him. All the people or all the businesses now on Regent Street, or a lot of the businesses on Regent Street with busy shops, people that had a lot of people in them, were businesses that started online. Mm-hmm. Apple, the Microsoft shop at Oxford Circus. He said it, it all of a sudden dawned on him that actually people that were online are now in the high street and, and are taking over the high street, which is allegedly dying. But I, I, I don't disagree with, with, with what you're saying there. The, the other element to that is I think it has and will change the sales process. And I was reading some research from uh, Gartner, the consulting company, a couple of weeks ago around engagement levels from particularly millennials. So millennials, you know, we're all now starting to sell into millennials, whether that's virtually or whether it is face-to-face. And um, they are coming to the, to the market or to the point of engaging a business for their product. And they're about 60% decision-made. They've done their research. They know what the competitors, they really think they know what the product is they want or the service. And they've probably got an idea of what sort of the price level needs to be. So actually the salespeople really is really negotiating the commercial terms once you get past that 60% level. So I think it's going to change for, for not just a marketing and an end user perspective for many, many different reasons, but also the, the one of the drivers that is the millennials are very much more IT driven. Um, want to do it as we're doing it through through this medium now, but actually they're reducing the amount of time they're giving to sellers as well to marketing and salespeople. And the, one of the stats that came out was, um, excuse me, of a B two B buyer's average week or month, and this was surveyed across twelve hundred companies across Northern Europe and America. Um, the buyer was only allocating on average 17% of their working week to meeting customers, sorry, meeting suppliers, I should say. So -hmm. that's an average. And in that 17%, if they're buying across multiple manufacturers or suppliers or providers, what's 20% of a a 40 hour working week? Eight hours or less than a working day. So how we sell and how we market to these people has got to be much slicker um, much more efficient, and actually the sales guys are going to be a lot more 
um, coherent in the message that they get across uh, and the time limit is going to be significantly reduced. Now that piece of research uh, is about 12 months old now and uh, there's due to be an up there was a, there was an indication on the update uh, to cover the COVID period but it came with a caveat that it was this pandemic period so we're not laying too much um, emphasis on it but it's actually gone backwards which is what you'd expect. Um, but the actual overall feeling was 17% might actually be the top end when we come out of this at the end of this year and into next year. So, so face to face, buying time, working with a buyer, whether you're a, a marketeer or a seller, is significantly reducing. That's, yeah, that's that's really interesting. That is very interesting, actually. And uh, do you know, what? I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sort of jumping in here, Sally, but it's just on that, I'm just thinking about. Um, relationship building and I was going to ask you Nick about how important you still feel that relationships obviously given that statistic yeah. how important relationships and the traditional thing of you know having your you know I've seen it before with sales teams you know it's like I've got I've got my my five premium my, my, my sort of platinum my silver my gold you know customers and then building those relationships because I mean we've we've discussed recently about marketing saying well can you sum marketing up in like a word or uh, and I, I previously I said that I, I'd said it in a job interview, one of my first jobs, some my right at the end of the interview, they said, what is marketing in a word? And I was like, oh, gosh, right. OK. And I said relationships. That's the, the main one I came up with. because I thought ultimately, no matter where you are, you're building some form of relationship. But I mean, do you think I mean, with the advent of technology and the, the, the power to the buyer that that is transforming or or, or it's, it is changing in nature? But there's still that important human to human sort of because we talk about this a lot, this human to human connection of a relationship but it's as you say it's a slicker relationship perhaps it's a more informed relationship potentially it's not as much about um you know building up and going out for you know well you know 40 years ago going to the golf course wherever it might be you know building up in that way but and of course across cultures i work with a few cross-culturalists and very different in certain areas where the process of the sale and the process of the relationship is different as well isn't it i guess but but clearly under under pressure, particularly in, in the UK at least, and, and perhaps, you know, Anglo-Saxon sort of models. Yes, and, and that word relationship haunts me and haunted me for as long as I've been a line manager. Because when you're recruiting people, say, I'm a, I'm a great relationship builder. That's the point I either dig deeper or switch off with salespeople <laughs> in an interview. Because the reliance, it's an older way of, um, of building that relationship and you become the customer's friend. Um, if you look at the uh, psychometric testings, um, the most abused, personality um, or sales trait in a salesperson is the relationship builder. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm going to caveat that with there are relationship builders and then there are relationship builders. And the relationship <laughs> builders down here are the people at the lower level who you know, want to be the customer's friend, want to do everything for the customer, um, almost sycophantically. Um, they get abused. That relationship eventually gets abused, whether that's by the buyer, the buyer's boss, or the business in general. Where I pitch relationship and where I think it should be with businesses is really what you summed up there a little bit, Sam, at the end, which is about more that strategic relationship. What's the information that we're bringing to the buyer in that 17% of the time that I've still got to fight for a third of it, half it, quarter, whatever it is. What am I bringing to the table that is really going to empower them and make them look good in front of their boss? And that's where the marketing comes in and the horizon scanning and the, the telling the, the, the buyer something different that they can't find off the internet and also the competition either don't want to tell them or are not strong enough to tell them. So that we're starting to move into a situation here with, with this relationship 
person. And I don't, we don't call them relationship people or relationship builders. Um, it's to do with them having a more commercial rounded approach to the business that I'm prepared to give you something and lead you to a decision. But in return, I want to be more embedded into your buying process, mm. less of the sales process. So it negates that 60% we spoke about before where the decision is made and it moves the buyer, sorry, moves the salesperson deeper into the client's buying process to become the trusted advisor. And once you're in that level, you can then you can start to exclude sales, um, uh, other, or other competitors and other businesses. But actually, yeah. that relationship needs to be strong and challenged on a commercial basis. And that, that, that's the difference. It needs to be honest. Yeah, and, and the, the lower salesperson would continually fall over and say, back to the business, uh, the, the customer needs a cheaper price, customer needs, customer needs more marketing material, customer needs us to fund their website. Whereas the other relationship person, they say, okay, well, if we're going to fund your website, what, what are we getting in return? Are we going to be category managing all your products for you for what we what we do? You know, are we going to be front and center? Are we signing a, a three-year exclusive deal? But this lower level relationship person won't, won't act or think in that way. Yeah. And that's the death of a salesperson. They're the people that we need to eject from our business, either upskill or eject. And actually, these are the people that are really struggling with um, selling virtually and making those connections through this through this medium. Yes, they can come on a video call, but they're not structured. They don't know where the conversations go and they can't cope with, with the IT. We could argue that's a training need. Um, but actually, yeah. And, they, and they've got super uber slick uh, millennials who come with you. I'll just share that document, that presentation with you through Teams. Teams, what's that? So I, I see it both ends, but I don't like to call the top end relationship builders. They are um, are more commercially astute uh, account managers, I would call them. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you do need to be careful that uh, that what can sometimes happen is, I suppose the, the, the very successful um, relationship builder at the top end has said, oh yes, of course we'll do your website for you. That's no problem at all if you'll give us this on the other back. And so they've actually negotiated with them. They need to make sure that they have probably actually spoken to the marketing team before they do that, because the people who are going to end up running that website is the marketing team and yeah. if they come back and say to the marketing team oh i've just promised this this relationship with this huge customer we're going to do this and the marketing team's mouths fall open and go you what yeah. we can't we haven't got time we haven't got space we've got only got three people in the team so there needs to be instantly that relationship maybe take a marketing person with you to the meeting and see what comes out of that because there may be things that the marketing team can offer and say brilliant we can't run your website for you because actually it's not i don't think that's going to be the right way to go so why don't we do xyz and you do find that it's better to have both of you there at the same time no i do i i completely agree with that. and actually before you even get to that stage i agree with you sally the conversation would have you know here's the three permutations that might come from this meeting mr sales director um mr or miss um uh, marketing director um, this is our preferred proposal but actually if we really went down are we comfortable with it could we create space so yeah, I, I agree. You know, they're the things that need to be ironed out beforehand. Now, this is where uh, Miss or Mister um, heavily commercially focused. Let's just call it relationship builder. I don't like that term, but up here will do. Whereas the person down here will just come back on a Friday afternoon at four o'clock and say, "We're building this company's website for them on Monday morning." Well, Marks has got nothing to do, so get on with it. Oh, he's paying for it. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I, I do see that the, the numbers are quite. Stark. I'll be interested to see when they do finalise the updated version of this. 
I'm going to say outside of COVID, but in a, a bit more of a normal period than we had last year to see where the numbers sit and lie. But um, two companies with a similar um, program of research and the numbers are not very different. They're one and 2% different either way on the same question. Wow. It's not the death of the sales department. It's just, as you say, it's the morphing of the sales and marketing departments. They're going to become a different thing. It's it's not, you're no longer, you probably won't have a sales, you shouldn't, I think, now have a sales and a marketing director as, as separate things. They're one in the same body, really. Mm -hmm. And that's it. That, that morphing is becoming more extreme now. So here's, here's one of my questions. Um, at uh, the university courses, you can go to, be, to do marketing. There's only one university course, or there was. I think it's actually been stopped. For salespeople or commercial people. Um, why has nobody come up with a sales and marketing degree course here? Mm. That's Very a really good question. Good question. Yeah, absolutely. Surely there you've got the ultimate, you know, uh, excluding experience coming out of a three or a four year course, <clears throat> you know, ready made, you know, two, you know, I don't know, covering two hats of a five hat of a business, if you include MD, finance, and operations, maybe. Mm. That is really interesting. It's because that marketing has become an academic subject. I mean, it's, it's on its own. It's now an academic. People write papers and, it's, you know, there's, there's, you can be a professor of marketing. But you're right. There's no, there isn't equivalent professor of sales, is there? Yeah, that is interesting. It's not its own I'll academic. Make, I'll, make, I'll make a note on that. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? But do you know what? It's interesting when you sort of, when you pose that question as well, and you just sort of think about it in terms of, you said, well, like you said earlier on about where, where are sales, salespeople and marketing people made, you know, where do they, what are their routes to becoming those, those positions? And I don't know, I mean, quite often, I, I think if you, I don't know, look at a very traditional model, you might sort of say, well, yeah, again, you're sort of thinking that, you know, quite a lot of things were around you know you, you learn learning sales on the job you're, you're sort of you're out there sort of be, you know in, in, let's go back to a previous model you're beating this you're on the beat effectively like a, a you know <laughs> policeman on the beat sort of doing that learning the models and everything and then you you know you get that commercial awareness as you say whereas that I mean, we were always talking about the art and science of marketing and i think the fact that there are those definitely there, there's the technical marketers and there's you know, the left and the right hand brain technical yep. ones the creatives as well and as you say that sort of, i think that's become more of a um from an academic standpoint as well it's sort of it's more of a, a packageable piece whereas i don't know there's almost a bit of a you know people being a bit not afraid but sort of thinking of commercial outcomes and things it, it's almost like looking at it from a strategic point of view i think they're quite comfortable but think looking at it from a more kind of day-to-day -day commercial uh, awareness and, and you know putting marketing and sales together there's almost a bit of a reluctance there as you say and I, it's it's a funny old one in many ways. I, I, I see it more I do, and it makes me chuckle. And um, we've all got competitors, and we've all got our pluses and our minuses, and people can pick holes in me, I'm sure they will. But when people, uh, I'd speak to people, say, oh, yeah, I've got a business coach, and go, oh, great, you know, how's it going? Yeah, it's going really well, I've been with a year or two, we're working on this project, that project. And you can see sometimes there's a little bit of a stall, and you say, uh, yeah, ask a couple of questions, but generally, someone's been given a model to work with or something to do. And they go, yeah, I understand that. I understand the process. And then someone goes away and then they sit in their office on their own and they go, how do I put it into practice? How do I actually make it happen? And that's where a lot of what we do, we fit in. We, we come in and we, we make it happen with businesses along with the teams, along with their um, uh, directors and their stakeholders. 
And I think that's a lot of, I see this with, with marketing uh, uh, businesses as well. Um, with some of the, with, actually, no, let me phrase that. Not with the consultants I see in the around the Oxfordshire area, but with the larger businesses, they'll, they'll come along and they'll say, we've got these ideas. This is what's going to happen. There's a couple of creatives I know in London. I say, okay, how are you going to implement that? And they go, well, that's for the business to implement. You know, you're almost stopping short of, of, your, of your own success. If you can help them implement and help go along to sell the idea, you know, you know, we sell these bits here, but we can't do the bottom bit. So I think there's a gap as well. There's an opportunity. I think you're right. And that operations bit often gets lost out of marketing, actually. And although I mean, it's quite hard to say people that actually love their CRM. Mm. And actually, it's one of those operation tools that people ought to just ought to get up in the morning and think, oh, great, I can look at it now. It's brilliant. I'm going to go and have a little hunt about and that marketing does have a tendency to not have that bit, whereas the salespeople effectively are looking at the, at the numbers all the time. So there is this kind of, as you say, marketing tends to be a little bit more creative and fluffy than the salespeople who are really actually nailing down the numbers. Well, it's like, I mean, I've, I've always had this sort of thing. I'm always banging on, bang on about it as well. I mean, I mean, my, my sort of levels of strategy, operation and, and tactics, you know, and, and, and thinking about, you know, but in a day-to-day practical sense with marketing, I've never understood other marketers who say a bit intransigent, a bit inflexible saying, this is our plan, we've got it in place. And then we're sort of like taking the, leading the horse to water and then it's sales problem. It's, it's, their, it's their issue then. And, and the actual implementation of, so having a grand strategy, a grand plan, operationally backing it up with the resources and the people to do it and then actually tactically delivering and seeing if it's working and that's my big thing i always 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 try to get to is like is this actually working or is it just working for us when we've we've left the horse at the trough is it working beyond that and then because then immediately you're going well who are our main who are our main um referrers and advocates when we've actually done this completed sales you know with customers and we're going back and we're, we're using them and going back in the system it's that whole picture that full it's not a it's not a linear process it's a circle and i think so many people don't get that and i think perhaps they get a bit entrenched i mean this goes back to like a, just a human relationship thing again but within teams people sort of go no well we've done our thing we we're always pressurized to have to produce these things you know here and there we're getting pressure from the top and you know um from a marketing point and it's putting us off our plans and therefore people get more and more if you get a dysfunctional relationship between sales and marketing they're more like no we, we you know we've got you we've got you the leads we said we would give you and there you go whether they're any good or not whether it's actually working and you're actually converting any of them that's your problem but i've never understood people doing that because you're just not you're not seeing the picture at all you're, you're just you're just leaving it at this point and then just you know like tunnel vision and it's it really gets gets to me people doing the, that question, the question is for the marketing team within that scenario is who is who is the customer who is your customer sorry and very often i i've, I've heard in the past in in this um format and also in, in corporate life well sales are our, sales are our customer you know yeah absolutely yeah, they're often really yeah sorry sally i mean often your sales department is really awkward they're a nightmare customer they yeah. keep demanding things they give nothing back and you're right that sometimes where the problem goes because you don't both recognize that what sam has said exactly right is that you both have the same customers and yeah. you both ought to be tracking them in the same way yeah, so no, that's really... is that a fault of marketing? Is it a fault of sales? Or is it a fault of the leaders of that business? 
probably a fault of the leader of that business to a certain extent. I, I, I think that's the thing, because that's one of the, the points yeah. I've got on our list is leadership. This is the crucial thing, isn't it? It's leadership. And for me, it's interesting when you scale up a business. So you go from you, you one, one man and his dog, whatever, and then it's three or four of you, and then it's five. And then what happens between that process of then people going from like a sort of a, a team or even just two of you together and then it, and then it builds up and then you start to have distinct departments and functions. The leadership journey there has to be the one that's connecting and establishing yeah. ideally that connection straight away, as you say, and, and but leadership is crucial, isn't it? There's a great book, which, which you may have read both of you, the seven dysfunctions of a team, Peter Lanconi. Heard yeah, it, sort of, it sort of addresses this this problem of dysfunction of the team and lots of silo and sales director or VP of sales is very strong, marketing not so. Um, I think if I remember rightly, I think it's the IT guy, the technical guy, uh, the chief um, technical officer who's running the whole business effectively, and then the new MD comes in. She recognises that this is the problem. It's um, it's rumoured not to be a true story. It's written as if it is a true story. Um, but nobody actually knows whether it is or it isn't. He plays his cards close to the chest, does uh, does Peter. Um, but that is a book for me which sum, sums it up for me. You know, somebody getting hold of the whole business and saying, well, you can live in your silos all you want, but you're not going to be for my business going forward because we move forward as, a, as one business and not as individual departments. Mm. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. And I'm just going to begin with beginning to get to the end, so I'm just going to make you realise that FDs are not horrible. I was once in a, I, I was a marketing director and we used to have a big corp, a big sales meeting every year and everyone would arrive and we'd all get drunk and all that kind of thing. And the FD had never, ever been, inv be, been invited. And that is largely because we didn't want him to bring his side with him. But he'd never been invited. And I thought, OK, like, right, we're going to invite him this year. And he came and we were all expecting him to go, this was a waste of money. Why on earth are you doing it like this? And he actually came over to me the next day and went, Sally, I've never really understood why you need the money you do, you spend. And I've suddenly understood why it really matters. We're going to rethink how your budgets work. And we are going to do reforecasting differently. Because what happens every time you do a reforecast, it's, oh, let's cut the marketing budget. It's things are going to the bottom line, being a bit dodgy, let's cut the marketing budget. And he said, we're not going to do that anymore because all of a sudden I feel part of the game. And you think, oh, <laughs> that was good and I think it's a, an example of those people if you live inside your silo and you never get out of it and you never move sideways either to speak to sales or operations or upwards to speak to the MD even you run the risk of not understanding how as you said how the whole company should move forward together I don't I completely agree with you I think um you know I I, I have some had some really good strong relationships with FDs down the years because we've got them involved um, and keeping them on the periphery. All they ever see is the PL at the end of the month, and they go, Well, got to make a decision on, you know, do we invest, do we not invest? Well, actually, some, probably the last MD I worked with, sorry, FD, sorry, I worked with, um, he was all for investment. If he could see, if he could understand what was going on and how it was going to be spent, I don't think he ever said no. Um, and some of them were tough decisions for large amounts of money. And he was like, Yeah, okay, we can sign off that million pound half million pound probably can't afford it but we'll find it um yeah. because two years down the line not not this year or this quarter but two or three years down the line i see where we're, where we're going to or where we hopefully we can get they've to. got a business plan which is which in their business plan will be five years so they too are looking <clears throat> like marketing are, are doing forward scanning yeah 
Yeah. In in his defence, he then took me into his inner circle and showed me how he has to then report things like that back through the bank because they were a couple hundred million pound business. Mm -hmm. The bank were very interested in cash flow and et cetera because they were across different ge geographies across the globe. And you, you then understand why you just can't rock up and say, well, can I have 100 grand out of the bank, please, to do something? Because <laughs> the bank caveats are very different further down the line. It's interesting. Yeah, interesting. That is interesting. It almost makes me think back to your induction point about, you know, you could almost do with actually having like a sort of, these are my three pressure points in my job, you know, for every role in the business when you join somewhere and say, look, you know, in this particular sector, in this particular business, at our particular stage, this is where I am just so you know, you know, like a really candid conversation as soon as you start, that would be really refreshing, wouldn't it? So you don't find out six months or a year down the line, you actually just know, okay, I've got a good idea where you're coming from. You know where I'm coming from. How can we work best together? I mean, that would be really, really refreshing. Oh, if only it was that easy. <laughs> Gosh, well, that's, that's, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling uh, very, very sort of, uh, uh, in, Informed, I think we've taken the conversation quite a lot further, actually, because I think this is an ongoing mission, isn't it? So it's almost a bit like Star Trek for Sally and I with um, sales and marketing. And I, I, I think this is uh, this, this has been really enlightening. And, and, and it's a it's yeah, it, it's a continue. And, and I think that one of the key points you said today, Nick, in terms of like, you know, this potential evolution or accelerated evolution we're seeing in 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 the way teams are structured and the way in which that's going to affect um you know say structure functions and just ways of actually conducting our work as marketers and and, and sales uh, sales teams is is something to really look out for so it'd be it'd be great to um you know i think perhaps you know this time next year or something we have you back on and we could say well where's it gone from you know this benchmark we took in, in you know line in the sand has it moved on has it uh, evolved since then that'd be really interesting to do i think and um uh, it's it's a topic to keep a close eye on and i'm also conscious as well i mean for any of our, our listeners and um people who are who are out there what what are the kind of um the type of clients the kind of people you're looking to to connect with uh, nick and what, what are there people who would you know want to what sort of conversations should they be having with you where can they find you so people tend to, to come to us for a couple of reasons. They're either doing very well and want to grow even faster, or generally they've got a problem and um, the sales of the margins are not growing as fast as they'd like it to be. And I know that sounds really obvious, um, but people tend to come to us for one of those two reasons. And um, generally we tend to work with businesses that are smaller to medium SMEs. We have got a couple of larger ones, but generally smaller, um, million pound upwards to maybe 20, 25 million. Uh, Sometimes you have a sales team, sometimes they don't. And it's interesting, the conversation we've had over the last hour, that actually teams are getting smaller and how do people facilitate that growth? Um, so people will find us um, uh, at Dynamic Coach, uh, sorry, dynamiccoachgroup.co.uk, uh, or you can find myself on LinkedIn as uh, Nick Hughes. And yeah, we engage with people, we talk to people on a regular basis. Um, we do quite a lot of... Um, uh, sort of short conversations to understand whether we can help a business and uh, people tend to open up and, and give us some feel of what their challenges are if we can help we take it forward if we can't we can usually signpost them to somebody somebody that can brilliant Great. fantastic well thank you nick and, and th thank you uh, for, for that overview and thank you for your time today it's been a fascinating conversation i'm sure i I speak for Sally here. I'm sure you speak for herself, but uh, as well, <laughs> it's been a great conversation. I really, really enjoyed it. And as I say, I think it'd be great to, to uh, you know, revisit it, as I say, six months or a year's time and see where, where we've got to then because 
as we were saying off, offline before the call, who knows where things are going to be uh, in the world by, by then as well. And what pressures that will, you know, what challenges that will give us and what opportunities as well will be fascinating to explore. It's been good. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Nick. Cheers. Take care. And uh, thank you, everyone. We uh, we'll look forward to uh, seeing you again soon. Bye for now.